Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Autumn Shelton. She is CFO and co-founder of Autumn Brands. We're going to find out a little bit about what they do in the cannabis industry, how they have kind of chosen to focus on a family-owned and operated flower cultivator based in beautiful Santa Barbara, one of my favorite places in California, if not on the West Coast overall. And I'm excited for this conversation because I really, I think that one of the things we've seen as the cannabis industry has grown is a real kind of commercialization of, you know, an industry that has had a long legacy, a long history of family-owned, family-operated businesses. And, you know, so curious to kind of see where, how that model plays in today's world. What are some of the kind of pressures? What are the opportunities? I'm excited to, to talk about them, about the work that they do and the products they've developed and uh, just kind of the take on the cannabis space. With that, Autumn, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Let's do, uh, let's do background first. Let's learn a little bit about you, about the family, about the, the history of uh, what you've been doing on sort of cultivation in general, and then we'll talk about cannabis. What's the backstory? Well, my background is really real estate and cost analysis and commercial real estate. 
And I found myself looking for that type of job after uh, going on a 16-month honeymoon with my husband. And um, But it led me to a flower grower, a Gerba daisy flower grower, and doing more finance and becoming his financial controller into CFO. And that was back in 2014. And he was very much very family-oriented. Both his kids would come back and help at the farm, even when they were in college. And But flowers just, you know, aren't really cutting it anymore with all the competition from South America. And he had definitely yeah. seen some struggles throughout his business. So he brought me on to really kind of help that business. And along the way, he got approached by some people to lease out some greenhouses to grow medical marijuana back then. And he's always been anti-cannabis. And I'm always pro-cannabis. And so after a lot of risk assessment, we decided it was a good idea. And shortly after, he became a partner in that business and then realized that there would no longer be a cut flower business for his kids to ever come back to. And he saw what I could do with his business and decided we should also get involved in the Medical Marijuana Collective as we could see this becoming the future and the regulated market happening um, in the near future. Yeah. So that's kind of how this all started. So we are two families that own and operate this business. We got it going. And then once both his kids graduate from college, they joined us and we transitioned from the medical marijuana into collective model into the regulated market. So we were very much involved in, you know, all the public comments at the state level and all the regulations and also at the county level and helping develop the ordinance here and being part of that whole public process, being at every single public hearing. And I thought the, the state level was very challenging, but it's <laughs> nothing compared to what the county county process has been. But we are now, we are two families that own and operate this incredible business in this amazing industry that, you know, is just growing every day and new opportunities are expanding. So my husband is also very much a part of it. He's our brand manager. He's out there meeting with all the dispensary owners and really helping us build our brand. And we didn't actually create a brand until the middle of 2018. Because in the collective model days, a lot of the cannabis was just sold in a jar in a dispensary, right? Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of knowledge on what the packaging should look like. So it took us a little bit of time to really brand ourselves rather than just selling bulk wholesale. And um, we've, we've developed since then as well. We started with a very medical looking logo and have really kind of realized that this is a health and wellness product. Yeah. And so we've really rebranded ourselves and really focus on on the importance of that. Yeah. I'm curious and some of the the story there you talked about in the beginning your partner was sort of anti-cannabis. What was that about? How did that conversation change? What sort of shifted the tide? Was it more economic? Was it educational? I'm just always fascinated by people who have kind of opinions, notions, stigmas around cannabis that adjust over time. What really was that change like for you? Yeah, he really definitely had a had the stigma, a mind frame when it when it came to us. And but I think it's absolutely economics. For him, he is a farmer. He is a he's a fifth generation farmer from Holland. And you know, being able to learn a new crop and see how I mean, yes, cannabis grows like a weed but it doesn't grow well (laughs) (laughs) unless you give it a lot of TLC and you know what you're doing. So, um, you know, I think it was, he saw 
there was an opportunity there where cut flowers just, it wasn't there for cut flowers any longer. So yeah. he had to really open his mind up and we still haven't got him to try it yet, but maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> and from a, you know, from a cultivation point of view, I mean, is it just like growing flowers or what, like what had to shift in terms of, you know, the, whether it's the mechanics, the, how you farmed, what you farmed in, you know, what, what had to shift in terms of using this facility, using the grounds that you had and move it to cannabis? How, how did that change things? Well, this is definitely one of the very fortunate aspects for us that have allowed us to, I think, be successful and be profitable at this point in time where there's a lot of companies that are still paying back all this capital that they had to put into put into something and put into a new building. And we grow in greenhouses and we literally were able to really just change the system of how the Gerber daisies were grown in these three liter pots to growing cannabis in these three liter pots. The irrigation systems were already set up in the same way. We've updated everything since, but we were really able to just literally change the crop and without a lot of major capital having to go into it. And so that's huge. I mean, that's, you know, that saves a lot of money. And, And we're both, we're all frugal kind of by nature anyway. And so, you know, we we try to be very smart with every dollar that we spend. So rather than spending maybe $200,000 on a system that someone someone else did because they wanted it to be all super fancy in the beginning, we spent $5,000. And then we've yep. grown into it as we've gone along and more money's come in and we've become more cash flow positive and, and we really believe in expanding within our means and it's really worked out for us. Yeah. And have you had to take outside capital, either equity or debt at this point or have you we been have bootstrapping? We yeah, have so been self-funded, which is, we're very fortunate. Um, yeah to be. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic. And we, we are debt free today. And I mean, it's not a lot of businesses can say that. And uh, yeah, especially so, in cannabis. <laughs> yes, especially in cannabis, you know, but we also still have the same ideals of how we did things before. I mean, with cut flowers, there was still a little bit of pesticide use, but there was always a beneficial insect program. But with cannabis, we see the importance of just being 100% pesticide free. You know, yeah. California is very strict in what you are allowed, but you still are allowed to use some pesticides. But we have dedicated ourselves for the last three to four years now of being 100% pesticide free. And we, we lose plants. Everything doesn't always you know, work, but we've really been able to build this incredible environment because even when you just use a little bit of pesticide, you kill the good bugs. And so you're constantly like chasing it. So we have this incredible environment now in the greenhouses where these native ladybugs, so ladybugs normally have all this, have spots that you see out there and people buy them in for their garden and then they just fly away. Well, we have these native ones that have really just taken up a home and all their larvae and all their babies in there constantly. And so we, we buy and we bring some in as well, but it's pretty cool to see and, and definitely geek out on um, <laughs> yeah. in the growing world of how, how you can really create a very natural environment. Yeah. And we're, you know, fortunate there's a well on the property as well. And so all water comes from groundwater and we yeah. reuse and recycle everything. So nothing is wasted. We send our all our organic waste off to be composted. So really just trying to focus on being as sustainable as possible. Yeah, yeah, I know, you know, challenges, but can can really be beneficial once you get the system in place and, and running and maintained. Yeah. And tell us about this branding side. So when you started, you were selling flour on the wholesale market, mainly because that's, I mean, flour was, was sold sort of unbranded at the countertop, you know, in, you know, in the beginning of this. But how, when did you realize or when did you see sort of the writing on the wall that you really need to focus on the brand side or building a brand? And then, and then how did you go about doing that? What were the decisions? What was the strategy you put in place? Yeah, we really kind of went out to the market. 
market and ask people what they were looking for and try to kind of see what what little branding was out there at that point. And, you know, my husband definitely was a pusher in this one. We we used to also process differently. We used machines to process and because he felt like you could get more out. But realizing how important high quality product is, we did a lot of tests and switched from that as well. So everything is handpicked. Everything is hang dried. Everything is hand trimmed. We have an army of trimmers <laughs> um, that are amazing and very fast and very talented. And so that really kind of transitioned us into, we have a premium one-eighth glass jar, again, trying to be sustainable in our packaging as well. Before we did have a lower end as well, but we really felt like it took away from the quality that we were trying to go for. And so we are, you know, our and our branding is all very bright. You know, it's orange with a little bit of yellow. And, you know, we, we we're really looking to market towards people that just really want to focus on this being a health and wellness product, focus yeah. on feeling better, understanding how this cannabis plant really can help you and help your body regulate. So that is really kind of our focus on educating and providing just a really natural, high quality product. Yeah. And so we also have um, a seven pack half gram joints and then also we do a one gram and uh, we are I'm beyond excited to say that we have a nourishing joint and uh, muscle salve coming out um, that has been our just uh, passion project for well over a year and doing a lot of R&D and so I'm really excited to to get that product out to market because it's also important to have something that doesn't get you high but gives you that pain relief and skin therapy that that you need. Yeah. And how how have you chosen kind of the market to focus on or how, how do you define your focus and what does that mean for you in terms of the products you develop and how you develop them? You know, I think our, you know, looking at our stats, our market is, is quite spread I and mean, we definitely have people, you know, 20s to 80s, 90s that um, really enjoy our product and the quality that we produce. And, you know, for us, we are, we're family. We're family owned. We aren't this big commercial people coming in. So that is really who we want to represent and stay true to. And, and really, we want our consumers to appreciate everything that we put into, put into this product, which is staying natural, which is being family owned and operated and, and, and treating our employees that way as well. And just, um, you know, being, being true to who we are hundred yeah. percent of the time. Yeah. And in terms of how you go to market, I mean, I, how does this impact or how does it help you choose which dispensaries to focus on? What locations? I mean, is there, is there a strategy when you are looking at who you're going to sell through either because of logistics and, and, you know, geography issues or in terms of brand, in terms of the accessing the market that you want to access? Well, we are, we definitely believe in relationships and long-term relationships. So we have been in over 300 dispensaries this year from the top of California to the bottom of California. Um, you know, and some have just been with us since the beginning and some come and go and disappear for a few months and then come back. And, you know, I think, you know, a lot of these dispensaries have to sometimes focus on who's going to give me the best deal. And that's yep. all they're focused on. And so our true partners and the, and the dispensaries that we really love working with, obviously, are have a long-term relationship and want to provide a good quality product to their consumers. Not because it's the cheapest this week, but because it's the best and it's consistent and you always know what you're going to get. Yep. So those are really the ones that we, we do, you know, want to work with. We utilize one distributor that, that sells on our behalf. And then my husband still helps out with about a number of dispensaries directly as well. 
but it's really, we are tied to this specific distributor and they are a little limited um, compared to maybe much larger distributors on where they can get to. You know, there are certain places that we'd, we'd love to, like Mammoth, you know, we're big Mammoth. Both families are both big into Mammoth, but it's hard to get out to that space um, in the winter. So we're always trying to work and expand and um, get to as many dispensaries as possible around California. Yeah. And how have you seen the California market develop? I mean, uh, is it segmented in ways that, that you've kind of used in terms of deciding where you're going to sell or how, how, how do you look at the California market? Well, Los Angeles is probably going to be the biggest market, mm-hmm. obviously. And that is definitely where our, our biggest footprint really is. And that kind of teeters between, or, you know, and then there's San Francisco and Santa Barbara County follow behind that. But, um, you know, there's places in Northern California that don't want Southern California flour. They yeah. are very focused on, I will only buy from Northern California. So, you know, we know we have limitations in certain places and, and what they're looking for and, and what kind of brands they want to represent because of the region. And is that is that because of they want to support local industry or is it because the product that they're getting is fundamentally different in some way? You know, I think there are some that are just dead set on, yeah, that region and just want, and maybe yeah. that's just because that's what their consumers want. Their consumers yeah. are very much, I just want something from Humboldt County. I just want yeah. something from Mendo. And so they really have to call to to what their consumers are looking for and what they want. And yeah. um, there's a lot of family, family, you know, operated and owned, you know, brands up there as well, which is, which is fantastic. Do you see, I mean, I, there, there's been, I know, sort of discussion or various efforts to kind of, you know, do this almost like wine is kind of define these regions, these Appalachians that, you know, will define kind of, you know, characteristics, you know, you know, terroir of, of an area that, that somehow kind of manifests themselves in a product that's grown. I mean, do you see that in cannabis or do you think that this is just, it's not the same kind of agricultural crop to have that, that kind of characteristics? It's, it's not the same, um, you know, because wine is completely grown in the ground. Yeah. Whereas cannabis Part of it's grown in the ground, part of it's grown um, hydroponically in greenhouses, and part of it's grown completely indoors hydroponically. So yeah. you really don't have just, and it's not a majority, is not grown outside. Yeah. And the outside market has, you know, its limitations because it can only harvest once or twice a year. Whereas mm-hmm. a greenhouse grower or an indoor grower can grow all year round. So you're always getting new, fresh product in those type of, in those type of growing techniques. But I think there's room for all three of them. And yes, there's going to be some people that that will be important to them and understanding the soil. But, you know, at the same time, there's there's benefits to growing in different ways, like a greenhouse where we can reuse and recycle our water. It's not going in back into the ground, yeah. you know, but, you know, we and we use sustainable coconut core. So there's definitely different ways. And I'm and I'm going to be very honest. I'm very proud of the greenhouse growing because I feel like yeah. it's the it's the perfect the balance because you get to still grow under the sun, but you get you get all the protection of having walls and yeah, a ceiling, controlled environment. and you're protected from all the all the elements, and you get to be very sustainable in how you do things. Um, yeah. So I'm definitely a big proponent of it, not just because I do it, but because I, I do think it's great. But I, I also think that you know there's some incredible flower that can that is grown outdoor and then also indoors. Yeah. And how, I guess, what's your perception of the market right now in terms of the amount of flour that's grown in these different conditions? And are there trends that you see going on right now? Well, every year when the outdoor market floods, which comes end of October, beginning of November, everything kind of slows back. For the wholesale bulk market, you know, prices plummet. And for the dispensaries, the dispensaries are, 
you know, I think it sounds like a lot of them have made deals to get outdoor flower. And so they kind of pull back a little bit at this time from their normal purchases and focus on outdoor. And last year, or in most years, we see the bulk wholesale market really start to go back up in around April, May. But this year in 2020, um, it actually already switched in January. So I think there might be a lot more outdoor flower going into manufactured products rather than into jarred flower per se. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you definitely are seeing the influx at certain times of the year, but the outdoor market, like I said, is they can't produce it all year round. And so we definitely saw it last year where dispensaries start pushing back on certain outdoor products in August because it was almost a year old and their consumers didn't want that because now consumers can see when it was harvested on the, on the jar. Yeah. What is the overall market for flour versus, you know, these other form factors and, you know, concentrates um, and, uh, you know, edibles and things like that? I mean, do you think is, is flour still, you know, strong in terms of sales or are people switching away from flour into some of these other formats? I think flour is still very strong and it's still the number one choice. But absolutely, all these other forms of consumption are growing every single year. Pre-rolls themselves, I mean, that's still flour, but, you know, the vape crisis kind of pulled back. You know, quite yep. a bit, I think, there and, and what people are looking for and made them a little more aware. But I still think that's a that's a very strong market. And But you have some really big brand names. You're already seeing certain brands just dominate um, certain marketplaces. But Edibles, I think that's a growing one, you know, as, as these companies start to really be able to pinpoint how many milligrams in each one of the gummies or each one of the chocolate bars so that people do yep. start to have more confidence in it and how they're going to feel and, and know that they can get some consistency there. So I think we'll continue to see these products and topicals, you know, you know, this topical we're putting out 75% of topicals are more salves, balms versus lotions. But, you know, as, as people become more educated and understanding how important THC really is for pain relief, and that they won't get high and that they can use these kind of products and these topicals to really help them. I think you're going to see these also just this year truly go up and skyrocket. Yeah, yeah. And how does it change your production process producing for a concentrate or a, a processed product like a topical versus flour? I mean, I, do you separate out the crops or you, do you grow them differently? I'm kind of curious from a cultivator's point of view, how that changes things? Well, for the most part, we probably use for manufactured products, the, the trim, the leaves, so not so much as not so much as the buds. That most most of that will all go into you know a, a flower jar or a pre roll. But for manufactured products, our kind of byproduct and trim, where we normally just sell that in bulk, we can now utilize that for our own products. So we are looking to put out other lines as well, a tincture edibles in the future and kind of continue to expand that you know we're limited and we do have another acre and a half of greenhouse we can expand into once we finalize this whole county process which hopefully will happen by the end of this year but you know it's fun now to kind of utilize everything that we grow into different product lines as well yeah yeah and, and so let's talk about the, some of the challenges from the regulatory and the, you know, the counties and, and getting this stuff all uh, approved. You mentioned that, you know, the state was nothing compared to the county. Why is this the case? Give us a little sense of what hurdles you needed to really get through, get over in order to really set up operations as a cultivator. Well, with the state, you know, it, that, it certainly was challenging. There was a lot of time in between these temporary licenses they gave you in the beginning to the provisional license. But we are very dedicated to being very compliant. And we we're actually the first in Santa Barbara County to get our transition from temporary license to licenses to provisional licenses by staying on top of 
having all the, you know, the water board and fish and wildlife and Department of Food and Agriculture and the Bureau of Cannabis Control and, and really staying mm-hmm. on top of all of those aspects to ensure that we could get our license. And once we did, though, we also realized then we were one of the, I think, top 10 businesses in California to go on metric. And it felt like as well, we're the first that had more than one license to go on metric. And so I spent a lot of time at the state level with the California Department of Food and Agriculture's compliance team. And then also with metric, the state's uh, track and trace software to help them understand how a farm grows that has more than one license. And I don't know if you understand the whole having to have more licenses. They've allowed one medium sized license, but you can have unlimited small licenses. And so you have to, you know, which, and that goes away in 2024, but, you know, one greenhouse can't fit within a certain license if you're limited on square footage. And so that's why you end up having to have multiple licenses um, in this process. So going through all that, we are able to really finalize at the state level, but the county of Santa Barbara allowed, if you were growing under the medical marijuana collective model before 2016, then you were permitted to continue to grow through this process. And so where we thought it would take three months, where normally when you go and you get a land use permit for something, we are now over two years in, the rules have continued to change. And whereas they say, okay, you've checked all the boxes. And then they come back two weeks later and say, oh, no, 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 we want you to check 20 more boxes. And then you get through all of that. And I'm like, okay, I checked those 20 boxes. And then they're like, well, we got another 30 for you. And so that's what this process has been like. And what so and what's happening? Like, what are the new things that are coming up? Is this is is it like new categories of things, or are they changing how they want to measure the core categories? I think they're changing how they want to look at core categories, and part of it as well is that there's a large anti-cannabis, not large. I'm not going to say large. They it's actually. Active. Just active. active. And so they've really been trying to, I mean, their goal, and they publicly stated it, is to shut down as many farms as possible. So they're appealing every single case and suing the county or brands or, I mean, owners just, just to shut down as many as they can. Not necessarily because they think that particular farmer is doing a bad job just because they don't want it here. Out of principle. And And that's really hard to work with. (laughs) Is this uh, moral, ethical grounds? Is this economic grounds? Is this competing land use issues? Like what's really driving the the, uh, anti-cannabis? I'm going to say, yes, definitely there's a stigma there. Then there's also cannabis does produce an odor. So that has been an issue for sure. You know, but that's a really hard one to to work with when the the good operators that are going through this and are trying to get permitted have odor abatement, but you have a lot of traditional market out there still, and you know that are hiding behind the scenes, or people can grow uh-huh. in their own backyard, so that also can cause odor as well. So it's just that's that's continually the an issue, and then yeah. there has been some conflicting agriculture issues. You know, as you know here locally with avocados. Avocado mm-hmm. growers, you know, they spray pesticides. And so since cannabis is limited on how high they can test, avocado growers insurance companies said, Oh, we're not gonna we're not gonna fly over and spray your pesticides because there could be drift, which is drift is illegal. But that became something where the, the cannabis growers like, Well, we'll work with you, we'll close our greenhouses, but you know, we're yeah. not we're not worried about this. You know, let's work together. But that became one of the highlights here as well. So and then you got in wine country, you got wineries upset about cannabis coming in and so there are different issues along those lines and everyone's just trying to work together and, and make it better and this which unfortunately the longer that people aren't permitted the longer that the odor and, and those kind of issues will continue so it is really yeah. important to get everyone through this process but it is taking a very very long time yeah 
Oh. And how how do you think your business changes as you know some of these new states open up? You know, as as there's kind of you know ongoing chatter about you know potential kind of federal change in position, you know, deregulation, re-reg- or descheduling or rescheduling cannabis. What does that do for you and your business? Well, I mean, the the hardest thing for us at this point, I would say, is the tax code 280e. So we were fortunate enough to get a bank account. So the bank account isn't an issue um, for us as much. I spent six months working with a bank to be part of their um, marijuana program and, you know, jumping through all the compliance hoops. And I've done that. And so we've had a bank account for quite some time. Um, so that has just been huge for us. But the tax code 280E still does not allow us to write off normal expenses in our business. Yeah. So at the federal level, California changes. So this is the first year where we will be able to do that. But, you know, I can't write off any of my licenses. I can't write off any normal, you know, marketing. None of that. Donations, nothing, nothing like that can be written off. And that's a real, that's a hardship for a business. So I have to really focus every single month and I do a a tax calculation so that I know exactly how much we are going to owe because you got to back out all those, all those expenses out of there to understand what you're going to owe tax wise. And so you, you have have to be very smart in this business as well to make sure that you are you are going to have enough money at the end of the year to to pay your taxes. So if yeah. this becomes federal legal, that's one of those things that will go away and will be huge for us. Interstate commerce. I mean, that would always be really exciting to to be able to not be so locked into California. But even if it becomes federally legal, will will there be interstate commerce? Will they? Will yeah. these states have spent all this money and time to build their own infrastructure? Are they going to allow those tax dollars to go out of state? Or are they just going to implement, you know, a double taxation of some sort? I don't know. So that'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. But I, I definitely feel like we're finally on this right path. And there's going to be another vote on the Moore Act coming up here. So, you know, federal, it's all there's always going to be competition. But like I said, if you just stay true to who you are and really just yeah. stay smart in, in how you operate and run your business and spend money when it's when it's important. and But don't spend money just to make something look pretty <laughs> when you don't yeah, need to. Yeah. You know, I think I think there's a lot of room and opportunity and people are definitely, you know, the demand for cannabis is growing as people understand it and understand how it how it actually helps them and, and the stigma diminishes every single day. And what does success look like in a couple of years? Where do you hope the business is? Where do you hope brand is? Yeah, I hope the I hope that we have been able to expand into another into another greenhouse. I hope that yeah, our product lines continue just to grow. Our brand line doubled this year, so that's been just incredible to watch and and see and and you know and expand our footprint. You know, if not further in California and, and areas we haven't touched yet, but you know, in a number of years, hopefully, and throughout the United States. Nice. Good. Autumn, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you and about the product, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, you can go to our website, autumnbrands.com. We have a store locator on there as well, so you can find where all our our products are at the moment. But if you ever can't, then always email us and and reach out to us. We have a little space on the website for that as well. But our website kind of will tell you all about who we are and what we represent and what our products are and all our strains that we are carrying at the moment. Uh, You can also find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Great. I'll make sure that all the links and the handles and everything are on the show notes so people can get that information. Autumn, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Likewise. Have a great day. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter 
at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.